the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Kristen Amiot. It's Thursday, February 2. Some of the nation's biggest mining operators have warned the government that its proposed safeguard mechanism could have severe consequences for Australian exports. The warning from industry comes as it's revealed 84% of those facilities are in regional areas, a fact they say could expose regional communities to economic downturn and make Australia globally uncompetitive. The biggest LGBTQI plus celebration on the planet lands in Sydney later this month. And while it's sure to be a party, it precedes another monumental milestone, the eradication of new HIV transmissions in Australia. We'll have more on that later in the episode. Usman Khawaja will fly to India today after his visa for an upcoming tour of the world's biggest cricketing nation was handed over late last night. Khawaja was left stranded in Australia as the rest of the men's team flew to Bangalore because the documentation wasn't approved in time for takeoff. The delay has many speculating if the Pakistan-born opener has been caught up in geopolitical tensions much bigger than cricket. That's first up. Australia's best test cricket player Usman Khawaja will make the solitary journey to India today after being left stranded by a visa debacle and not for the first time. Peter Lawler is The Australian's chief cricket writer and he joins me now. Peter, what happened with Usman Khawaja's visa? Yeah, well, it's a very good question. He was due to fly out at around 10am Wednesday with the rest of his teammates from Sydney. He was the only one who didn't get a visa in time to catch the plane, which is curious given that everybody applied for a visa at the same time and they all came back and they were all approved except one, Usman. So um, you can imagine how frustrating that is. Khawaja reportedly received the crucial documentation late last night. Is there any speculation as to why his was the only visa that was held up by the consulate? When you apply for a visa to India, which I've just done and just got mine back today as well, there is a separate section regarding if you or your parents were born in Pakistan. Now, we understand naturally that there are sensitivities between the two countries because of the sort of geopolitical tension. I mean, basically, there's a passive sort of war going on between the two countries for the best part of 80 years now, on and off. So it's always more difficult for Pakistan-born players. So it does go through a different process, but it is extraordinary to think that Usman is an Australian citizen. He only has an Australian passport. He applied with all the Australian players and uh, somehow he's got caught up in the bureaucracy again. And the same thing happened to him 10 years ago ahead of the Champions Trophy. where It had to be some last-minute lobbying to get him to that event in India. Khawaja is an opener in the 18-man squad vying for the Border Gavaskar title. Why was it so important for this issue to be resolved ahead of the first test next week? Let's not forget that on Monday, Osman Khawaja was crowned the Shane Warne Australian Test Player of the Year, which tends to indicate he is our most successful batsman in the last 12 months. And the winner is, who's having a great night? Osman Khawaja. He came back to the Test team during the Sydney Test against England in the Ashes last summer scored two centuries there. He's coming back. There it is. Raised arm. 
Back-to-back hundreds, he moves into special company. What a magical moment for Usman Khawaja here at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Went to Pakistan on Australia's first tour of Pakistan uh, in March last year. Scored a century there and did very well as well. And I'm still fresh in our mind that he was 195 not out in Sydney in the last test. So he is a critical part of the Australian test team. And zooming out a little bit, all of this drama aside, how are things looking for Australia in India for these tests? Well, I've been covering test cricket in India for 20 years now, and they won the 2004 series and have not won a series since. In fact, they've won one single solitary test match in the sort of 18 years in between. It's the most difficult place to play test cricket for a visiting team. Having said that, I think I haven't seen the Australian team in a better position to perhaps come home with the Border Gavaska Trophy, which would be an extraordinary achievement. Peter Lawler is the Australian's chief cricket writer. Stay with us. After the break, the front's Claire Harvey talks with David Ma about what world pride means for Australia's queer community and how swift action on HIV made us a world leader on its eradication. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it's been a while since there was a big party in Sydney and we're about to have one of the biggest parties the city's ever seen. I'm joined now by David Ma, who's the editor of Wish magazine. World Pride is coming to Sydney, David. What is it and when's it starting? It starts on February 17 and goes until March 5. I think the best way to think about it is it's kind of like the Olympics. It's not predominantly a sporting event, but it is an event that's held in a different city around the world every few years. It's been held in London and New York and Madrid, and now it's Sydney's turn. It's a a festival of different programs. There is a sporting component. There's a human rights conference. There are arts events. And because it's an LGBT community event, there's lots of parties. (laughs) So how does the Mardi Gras fit in? The two of them are sort of integrated this year. So rather than try and have another event that competes with Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras and Sydney World Pride have combined into one event. So the annual Mardi Gras parade will be at the end of the um, festival. In the last couple of years, that's been in the SCG. It's been sort of a stadium-based event. It's back on the street this year. We know the Mardi Gras started out as a protest. And of course, Sydney has a proud tradition of protest and the civil rights aspect of the LGBTQI community. Last Saturday night's turbulent march through King's Cross marked the ninth anniversary of gay liberation's stormy birth. Today, the fervour was there, if not the numbers. In fact, for most of the morning, the demonstrators encircled and barred from entering the court were actually outnumbered by police. Is it all about a party now? It's not all about a party, no. There are a lot of parties, including one which will have 15,000 people on Bondi Beach, so that will be something (laughs) to (laughs) be a part of. Look, as I said, there's a human rights conference. 
There's also a march across the Harbour Bridge, which will go from north to south. And that's very much about visibility and awareness. It's not going to be a protest march, but it is still very much a march. Mardi Gras as well, over the last few years, has been more of a celebration than a protest, but there are still important community elements that are part of that. And I think you'll see a lot more of that return this year. It will be a bigger march than it has been in previous years. You've produced a beautiful special issue of Wish magazine centred around World Pride. And one of the most fascinating stories was about the head of ACON, which used to stand for the AIDS Council of New South Wales, but now is a much bigger, more representative body. What is ACON? Who's the boss and what have they achieved? Well, ACON was originally founded to advocate for HIV issues and to help people with HIV issues. It's morphed over the years to be more about just general sexual health and psychological well-being. It's now very much a national organisation. Nicholas Parkle is the CEO. He's been the CEO since 2009. We wanted to profile some well-known LGBT Australians, but we wanted to shine a light on some lesser well-known people. And I think he's a really good example of that. The story really does look at the work that ACON has done over the years and how it has developed into an organisation that's not purely focused about HIV issues. And one of the really interesting things that comes out in Nicholas's story is that New South Wales in particular is on track to eradicate new HIV transmissions by 2025. The world standard or the US standard is 90% by 2030. So we're well ahead of the world. And that is predominantly because a lot of the advocacy work that organisations like ACON have done over the last 20 or 30 years. Of course, Australia was one of the most aggressive countries in the world in terms of public messaging around HIV when it first emerged. We all remember the Grim Reaper ad campaign. At first, only gays and IV drug users were being killed by AIDS. But now we know every one of us could be devastated by it. What changed over the years to deliver this kind of level of success? Antiretroviral medication, which is a medication that HIV-positive patients take to suppress the virus in their body, has been very successful. And Australia was very quick to make that accessible to patients. It's on the PBS. It costs you $30 a month. In New South Wales, it can actually be free for HIV-positive patients. So Australia has made a lot of progress in making that drug very, very accessible. And then what's happened with that is in recent years, there's been a lot of studies that have shown that if a patient is taking antiretroviral medication and it's working, so the virus is suppressed in their body to what's called undetectable, they can't infect somebody with HIV. We also have very good access to a drug called PrEP, which stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's a drug that people who are not HIV positive can take. And if they're taking that drug effectively, it stops them from becoming HIV positive. So those two things combined and really easy access to those drugs has meant that HIV transmissions in New South Wales and in Australia in general have really started to plateau and have really fallen off. And we're heading towards, as I said, by 2025, which is just around the corner, being in a situation where we have no new HIV transmissions in a year. I worked at one point for the Sydney Star Observer, which was a street press, a, a gay newspaper, and some weeks we would be filled with obituaries. Mm. And what you saw happen was, as soon as antiretroviral medication started being taken by the population, those obituaries just stopped almost overnight. So it was incredibly effective drug if it was taken properly. And I think 
Australian health services and particularly organisations like ACOM are very good in educating the community in how to take this drug as well as to take it. Back when the Mardi Gras started, it was a protest and it's not so long ago that being homosexual was illegal in many parts of Australia. What is there to celebrate now? What is pride really celebrating, do you think, do you feel? It's a good word, pride, and I think we've also got in the issue uh, a list of 25 leading LGBT Australians. They're names that a lot of people will know, like Penny Wong or Alan Joyce or Ian Thorpe. Again, not to sort of talk about, you know, when I was younger, but... (laughs) We didn't have those kinds of people to look up to. We certainly didn't have our politicians, the foreign minister. Mm. Um, We didn't have Olympic athletes. We have another story in the issue about a guy called Isaac Humphreys, who's a professional basketball player. He's 25 years old and came out late last year. And what you have now is you have brands that want to sponsor him. Mm. Once upon a time, if you were an athlete, you would have been told it's career suicide. Don't do it. And I think you maybe even saw that a little bit with Ian Thorpe. I think he struggled with when to come out. And now you've got Josh Cavallo, the soccer player. It's not career death anymore. Mm. And I think that's something to celebrate. And I think the more that is celebrated and the more that young people can see that, that you can be a leading politician, you can be the CEO of a major company, you can be an Olympic athlete or an NBL player or whatever you want to be, and your sexuality won't get in the way of you achieving your goals. David Ma is the editor of Wish magazine. He was speaking with the front's Claire Harvey. The Pride issue is out on Friday and Sydney World Pride kicks off on February 17. And you can read all our journalism anytime at theaustralian.com.au. Access a world of true crime podcasts on Crimex Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.